Hello everybody and welcome to March of 1991. In the news this month, the UN votes in favor of US resolutions for ceasefire with Iraq. Exxon pays $1 billion in fines for the Valdez oil spill. The Dave Matthews Band performs their first show as a part of a benefit for the Middle East Children's Alliance. Four officers of the Los Angeles Police Department are charged with excessive force over the beating of Rodney King. NFL owners strip Phoenix of the 1993 Super Bowl game due to Arizona not recognizing Martin Luther King Jr. Day. The number one song of the month is Someday by Mariah Carey. And the top three movies are The Doors, New Jack City, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 2, The Secret of the Ooze. Welcome back to Be Kind, Please Rewind, a 90s movie podcast. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Be Kind, Please Rewind, a 90s movie podcast. I'm Chris. And I'm Kevin. And it's March of 1991. This is a good month. Why are there so many movies in March of 91? 20 movies is a fair amount of them. Yeah, I mean, next month we only have like seven movies. That's going to be a better month. Well, uh, that depends on the I never hype quality. up the episodes. I always have this negative like... Why, this <laughs> is a great episode. It is a great episode. We had, we had three very watchable movies. There were three movies that I thoroughly enjoyed. I mean, and we have probably my top movie as a child, like before I turned six, right? Like Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 2. A young, the secret a of the young Chris. This was like you had put it. We watched it together, and you're like, "This was your jam when you were a kid, weren't you?" It's like, I literally know every second of that movie. I was surprised how much I remembered of it. Oh, it's a fantastic movie. It's I must, of, I must have watched it more than I remember watching it. Yeah, I mean, TMNT, bro. Secret of the Ooze. All right, all right. Let's get into it. You're kicking it off with number twenty. Oh, number twenty, Closet Land. Earning $259,000, had a budget of $4 million. This movie did really well. <laughs> Made everybody their money back. <laughs> yeah, it's a drama thriller. In a drab police state, an author of children's books is interrogated by a sadistic secret policeman. She's under suspicion of embedding anti-government messages in her stories. Mm. Interestingly enough, the characters of this movie have no names. Okay. They're just the interrogator and the victim. Okay. And from what I could tell, it takes entirely takes place inside of an interrogation room. Okay. <laughs> Which is probably why this movie didn't do so well. <laughs> but it is starring Alan Rickman. Okay. And Madison Stowe. Well, at least it was ambitious, right? Like yeah. they tried something. It's probably an artsy movie, but like again, like you don't spend four million dollars on a on an independent film, which is what it seemed like it was, but I guess it was a wide release, so not really. Beg to differ. I would imagine that you do spend four million dollars on an independent film. Four million dollars doesn't seem like a whole lot of money in nineteen ninety with only two characters. You have Alan Rickman. That's true. All right, so fair enough. Anyway, this movie's directed by, and I'm definitely going to butcher this name, Radha Bharadwaj. Great job. So <laughs> I, I tried. Nailed it. I did. I got it right. This person, I'm not sure, male, female, uh, directed Space Moms. Not that I know what that is, but... You needed everyone to know that? Yes. It's fair. <laughs> That's all I got on this movie. <laughs> I think I want to watch Space Moms. How's that? <laughs> I'm, I'm actually a little nervous about what it might be about. <laughs> it, could go, it could go in varying directions. 
<laughs> All right, you're up. All right, number 19, American Ninja for the Annihilation, grossing $358,000. Two American ninjas, Joe Armstrong and Sean Davidson, team up to do battle against a terrorist and his band of ninjas. This uh, stars Michael Dudikoff. Which Dudikoff. This definitely sounds like a made-up last name. He's like, he's like the dude of cough. Anyway, he stars in one, two, and four. There are five installments. I know. I, I noticed that. So if this is the annihilation, did they not annihilate everybody? <laughs> not properly, I suppose. <laughs> I don't know. I read some things about this, but this feels like a long, almost along the vein of like a Miami Connection, where it's just like a joke of a, of an action movie. But who greenlit the fifth one? This movie only made three hundred fifty eight thousand dollars. Who said, you know what? Let's do another. <laughs> One more time. <laughs> All right, number 18. Number 18, True Colors, earning $1.2 million. This is a drama. Best friends from law school to election night. Their friendship is sorely tested when one learns of another's betrayal. Okay. I don't know. It's a movie. Uh, stars John Cusack. Well, there you go. And James Spader. James Spader, that's interesting. I hate James Spader. But a 1991 James Spader? He's only famous like now. Yeah, I don't know. And Mandy Patinkin. All right. I mean, three actors. Yeah, eh, I'm not interested. Also, can we just sidebar real quick? Have you seen the movies John Cusack is putting out nowadays? I haven't seen a John Cusack movie since, I want to say, Hot Tub Time Machine 2. They've gone downhill, (laughs) I believe. He's... He's putting out straight to Netflix movies and pumping them out like Yeah, but Netflix is its own production company now, so Yeah, but these are like they they can't be any good. I haven't seen them. I don't know. I mean, like I said, the last movie I saw was Hot Tub Time Machine 2. Not that I didn't enjoy it. Listen, but when you have a good movie. When you I seen he was in one of those straight to Netflix or Prime movies with Morgan Freeman. Like when you have an un um an, an unadvertised movie that doesn't go to the theater what are you doing? Yeah, but Morgan Freeman's a notoriously like just pumps out movies. I disagree. He demands in many, many, many award-winning movies. Yeah, he is. But he also pumps out. He's in tons of stuff that you've never heard of, too. I guess you could be right. Yeah. Moving on. Because you've never heard of it. Number 17, The Unborn, grossing $1.1 million sci-fi horror. A couple struggling to conceive visit a miracle doctor as a last hope for having a child. The wife gets pregnant, but after the initial joy comes horror as she slowly discovers the nightmarish truth behind the doctor's success. Not starring, but including Kathy Griffin and Lisa Kudrow. Lisa Kudrow. Pre-Friends Lisa Kudrow. 91. Is it pre-Friends? Yeah, Friends didn't start until 94. You would know better than most. I would and I do. Very good. Coming in number 16, The Field, earning $1.4 million. This is a drama thriller. When a field, which has been farmed by the McCabe family for generations, goes up for auction, the patriarch of the McCabe family will stop at nothing to prevent a rich American from buying it. <laughs> Goddamn rich Americans. <laughs> Always trying to steal everything from the McCabes. This is uh, that's really like a poor job at explaining what this movie <laughs> probably is. I mean, it's kind of like, it re- I gotta be honest, it reminded me of Young Guns. And the whole, like, you know, he's he's a Took cattle our farmer. Farm, Mr. Trying, Chisholm. <laughs> Took a lot of farms. Yeah, they're trying to take his farm. You know, they kind of remind me of something like that. Uh, directed by Jim Sheridan, who directed, as I wrote, Nada. Uh, starring Richard Harris 
of course, he played Dumbledore in Harry Potter's one and two. He was in the Gladiator. Mm-hmm. Uh, Scene Bean or Sean Bon. Oh, I mean Sean Bean. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and John Hurt. All right. So there's there's three de- decent actors there. So I just want to bring it back to the description of the plot. Like I feel like that was painted with the broadest of brushes. Oh, that's the point. Of leaving it, letting your mind. Try it's not a book. It's a guess. movie. <laughs> and you gotta you gotta have that visualization before you go you into the theater. Figure it out for yourself. Right, so move on, on to yeah. judo. <laughs> also, it's not it's not judo. It's J U D O U. So also probably pronounced judo, but. It's not judo. It grows it's judo. It grows one point <laughs> six million dollars. I have a lot to say about it's this. Number one. fifteen, by the way. Number fifteen. A woman married to the brutal and infertile owner of a dye mill in rural China conceives a boy with her husband's nephew, but is forced to raise her son as her husband's heir without revealing his parentage in this circular tragedy. Director, I'm gonna butcher this name, Yu Mao Zhang, Y M O U Zhang. Uh, directed Hero with Jet Li, which is one of my all-time favorite kung fu movies. Also directed House of Flying Daggers, which is another of my all-time favorite you kung fu kung movies. Fu. Yeah, I do. The Great Wall. So this one is the one where Matt Damon tries to play an Asian in a kung fu Wait, play. is this one from the Chappelle show? I guess. <laughs> the Great Wall starring Matt Damon. Yeah, that's exactly <laughs> what that is. And then he did a new one recently, I think a couple of years ago, in 19, uh, 2019, uh, 2018, somewhere around there, uh, called Shadow, which was decent. It wasn't one of his best. And it also stars a girl by the name of Gong Lee. She was in Mulan, not the main character. She was in Memoirs of a Geisha and Curse of the Golden Flower. So she's an actress in these Asian movies that I recognize. So. I would like to see this movie based on all of that information. Well, enjoy. Let me know how it was. Okay. Number 14. My heroes have always been cowboys. Thanks. Is, isn't that true for everyone? <laughs> a little, little personal information from you. <laughs> Earning $3.6 million. Surprise, surprise. This is a drama western. Oh. <laughs> a rodeo rider decides to quit his line of work after a serious injury. But when he visits his family and finds out that his dad is not well, He'll have to risk it all one more time. All right. <laughs> directed by Stuart Rosenberg, who directed Cool Hand Luke. Nice. And the original Amityville Horror movie. I would venture to guess that Stu Rosenberg was not a rodeo rider himself. I'm unaware, but he had several westernish looking uh, movies on his IMDb, but I didn't know what they were, so I didn't want to write them down. Okay. Uh, starring Scott Glenn from Silence of the Lambs and Hunt for Red October and Backdraft. Mm-hmm. And Kate Upshaw, who of course plays Willie in Temple of Doom. And appearances from Gary Busey. Kate Upshaw in Temple of Doom is maybe the most annoying character ever put on screen. I, I don't have an argument against that. Thank you. <laughs> Number 13, La Femme Nikita grossing $5 million. This movie's also called Nikita. Really difficult to understand what's going on here on IMDb and uh, Wikipedia and Rotten Tomatoes. So there's conflicting release dates. So we're just going to say that this one is correct. Nikita, instead of going to jail, is given a new identity and trained stylishly as a top secret spy slash assassin. Directed by Luke Besson. He wrote and directed Leon the Professional, Lucy, and La Femme Nikita, and The Fifth Element. 
Uh, so he wrote and directed all four of those. Three of them are really good movies. Need to see this now because those three movies. Yeah, I've never seen La Femme Nikita. I, f- I very vividly remember the cover of this VHS having gone into the video store when I was younger. I remember the te- the television program. Yeah, it was also a show. Yeah. They turned it into a show. Stars Anne Parillard. Parillard. She's French, I would take it. And I don't know what else she's been in, but there you have it. All right, coming in at number 12, The Five Heartbeats, earning $7.4 million. This is a drama music movie. It is not a biopic, though. This is a fictional story. The story of the rise and fall of an African-American music group in the early 1960s. A quintet of hopeful young African-American men form an amateur vocal group called The Five Heartbeats. After an initially rocky start, the group improve, turn pro, and rise to become a top-flight music sensation. Along the way, however, the guys learn many hard lessons about the reality of the music industry with its casual racism and greed, while the personal weakness of the members threaten to destroy the integrity of the band. So I read that whole long description just because what's casual racism? I don't know. <laughs> I found that description to be like odd. Is that like all Asians are sm- are good at math? Casual no. racism? <laughs> I mean, I have to imagine that like, it's like the stealing of their style, the stealing of their music and all that, you know, like rock and roll. Is that would be cultural appropriation. Right, obviously. But like my point is, I think that this casual racism means it's like, you know, people using them to make money. So like being like friendly. With them. But like that's just such a weird way to phrase something. But anyway, so as I said before, it's a fictional it's a fictional movie. This isn't a real uh, music group. However, it was based mainly on The Temptations, directed and starred by Robert Townsend. Uh, Michael Wright, Leon, that's just his name, Leon, that's all it had. Uh, he's from Cool Runnings and the movie The Temptation. So. Nice. Uh, and Harry Lennox, uh, he was in the new Superman movies and The Matrix. All right. Uh, there are some people in there that uh, I kind of maybe am familiar with. Yeah. Coming in at number 11, if looks could kill, grossing $7.8 million, Michael has to take summer class in French. A class trip to France to graduate high school. Uh, He is, however, mistaken for an agent and people try to kill him. There are 007 style cars, cuties, crooks, etc. This sounds like dog shit. I was about to say, I kind of like the premise. (laughs) All right. (laughs) I don't know. I'm pessimistic, so you're probably right. But directed by William Deere, he directed Harry and the Hendersons and Angels in the Outfield. So very. It's a kid's movie. Yeah, I would guess so. Uh, he wrote The Rocketeer and Harry and the Henderson stars Richard Greco and Linda Hunt. Linda Hunt's the principal from Kindergarten Cop. Oh, yeah. Little Linda I'll Hunt. never remember her name, but I'll always remember her face. It's, you don't need the name. You just need the face. Yeah. And then, then she's that girl. Yeah. <laughs> All right, coming in at number 10, Guilty by Suspicion, earning $9.4 million. This drama uh, is about David Merrill, a successful director who has spent the last couple of years working on movies overseas. He returns right in the middle of the McCarthy-era communist witch hunt that was sweeping through Hollywood. When first approached by the Inquisitors, he rebuffs them, not realizing how much influence they have. He soon finds that he can't get work, having been blacklisted for failing to cooperate. All right, so the reason I read that whole description is because this movie was actually written... um, by Abraham Polanski, or at least he helped produce it. I'm sorry, he didn't write it. He was like, a, he gave them insight and whatever. He's a victim of the blacklist, and he was so offended that Erwin Winkler, who is the director, mm. that he changed the main character from a communist 
to a liberal because mm-hmm. they felt like, oh, it's communism. We don't want to bring that. People aren't going to like that. Right. That he uh, not only had his name taken off the movie, he also refused to have an executive producer credit, which would have earned him like millions of dollars. Yeah. So like it was like a pretty big deal, apparently, in the in like back in the day, I guess, like people being accused of communism, like yeah. especially Hollywood esque people. Yeah. 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 So like. It's pretty interesting. I mean, I really have no interest in watching this movie. It sounds boring. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, it happened. I'm on board with you. I, w- I, I could leave this one alone. Yeah. Coming in at number nine, career opportunities grossing just under $11 million. This one's interesting, okay? So Jim is the dorky son of a local cement contractor who lives at home and has no direction. Josie is the gorgeous daughter of a wealthy businessman who dreams of leaving town. They find they have a lot in common. That's IMDb's description. This is the movie with Jennifer Connelly and the other guy who, forget who he is because it's unimportant. They're stuck in the target. They're stuck in like the big, it's a target that they shoot it in. So it looks like a, um, what do you call those? A like retail a store? Yeah, exactly. Like a big retail store. Now, directed by Brian Gordon. This guy has two movie credits, two movie directing credits. This is the second one he ever did. And this is the last movie he ever did. After that, he has tons of TV credits. No more movies. You want to know why? Yes. John Hughes wrote this script. This guy demolished the John Hughes script. So here's what John... Oh, he got forced out. Yeah, booted right out of the movie. (laughs) You don't mess with John Hughes. Not in the early 90s. So this is what John Hughes had to say through my research. These, These, I guess, we're paraphrasing here. So you said he didn't have his usual creative control in this movie. He called the movie a disappointment, said it was cheap and vulgar, and he tried to take his name off of it. They wouldn't let him as far as the, the, well, of course not. the writing credit goes. So it stars Jennifer Connelly, Dermot Moroney, who's oh, Dirty, Dirty Face Steve. Steve. Frank Whaley is actually the star of the movie, but I put him third bill just because screw you, Frank Whaley. And Kieran Mulroney, <laughs> who's Dermot Mulroney's little brother, is in this movie as well. So I thought this was a very interesting... I like this movie. This is a good movie. Yeah, I've never seen it or heard of it till this moment. So. You know what might jog your memory? You ever see the, the, the preview or the clip with Jennifer Connelly riding like the... What do they call it? The animatronic horse? Like you put the quarter in? Oh, yeah. That's this movie. Okay. And they, they said... They said that because of that promo, like they felt like the mu- the movie lacked depth and was gonna fail, so they tried to they tried to push it as like a sexy Jennifer Connelly movie, which it really wasn't Not at all, right? And okay. I've never, I still never seen the movie, but I remember that. Uh, yeah, that yeah, the image, promo, the yeah. promo, yeah. yeah. Okay, so that's what this is. All right. But this is a good movie. You should watch it. And it's a John Hughes script. Not his best, but not his fault, I guess. I'll give it a I'll give it a whirl. <laughs> All right, number eight, The Perfect Weapon, earning $14 million, action crime drama, an expert in Kenpo, Kenpo? Sure. Karate, avenges his Koreatown friend, slain by a mobster in Los Angeles. Directed by Mike DeSalle, who also directed Kickboxer. Oh. And starring Mariska, I can never say her last name, Haragaridi. Yeah, you know who she is. Who is she? She's from Law and Order SVU. I don't watch that show. Oh, all right. Well, she's that's her. Uh, so she's in it, and there's that. And that's pretty much all I got on this movie. It's <laughs> a lot of half-interesting facts. Yeah, they, they, uh, you got the good movies. Every movie I come, come across this month is just like, 
Ugh. I got two good movies. Here's a shit one for you. <laughs> Shipwrecked, grossing $15 million. Here's a Disney movie I've never heard of. It's an adventure movie. A young Norwegian boy in 1850s England goes to work as a cabin boy and discovers some of his shipmates are actually pirates. Second build, Gabriel Burns. Doesn't get any more interesting than that. <laughs> Moving on. Number six, Defending Your Life, earning $16.3 million. All right, so this movie sounded interesting when I read the description. Uh, then I did a little bit more research, and then it wasn't as interesting anymore. Okay. <laughs> so in an afterlife way station, now they spelled way wrong, right? Way station should be like the weight, right? W-E-I-G. This is, the description said W-A-Y station. In an afterlife way station resembling a major city, the lives of the recently deceased are examined in a court-like setting. So at first I was like, Oh, you know what? That's pretty interesting. Yeah. People, people die. They get, they get judged, and and then I was thought, wait, and then I looked. I was looking at all the pictures and all the images, and it's like a courtroom drama, but it's that supposed to be terrible. the afterlife. And, and that, that was all the that was only from the images, though. But I couldn't find anything else. Like so, it's the afterlife. So you could do literally whatever you want with it, but instead you set it in a dreary, boring courtroom. From what I could tell from the pictures, the pictures were like foggy, though. Like so, you know they're dead. Oh, there was like a haze, <laughs> yeah. like a haze filter. So I, there, there were a couple of interesting things about this movie, though, about the creation of the movie. Yeah. So director Albert Brooks, uh, he's also he's mainly an actor. He's in broadcast news and drive. Uh, he wrote this movie along with Mer- Meryl Streep and Rip Torn. Okay. And so actually, the reason this movie was written was because Albert Brooks was part of the production company for Postcards from the Edge. Yeah. Remember, we talked about the movie last year. Yeah. And he wound up meeting Meryl Streep on the set. And they just like got together, they clicked and they decided to write this movie. So I always find those connections interesting. Like, you know, it's like, oh, we made this movie, got to talking. Oh, let's make this movie too. Yeah. I don't know. Connection through Hollywood is pretty cool. Yeah. You get to know somebody, you work well with them and, you know, makes it easy to do it again, I suppose. I guess so. Coming in at number five, class action, grossing $24 million. An attorney representing a traumatized accident victim finds that his opponent is a very familiar defense attorney, his own daughter. Dum, dum, dum. <laughs> Stars Gene Hackman. Love Gene Hackman. Mary Elizabeth Mastrantonio. She is the female ship captain in The Perfect Storm. Ah. Colin Friels. He's, I was like, how do I know him? How do I it know that It does sound name? familiar. He's Lewis Stack in Darkman. Oh, okay. So we've talked about him before. That's why. Yeah, we shit on him in that movie a little bit. <laughs> and Lawrence Fishburne, directed oh, by nobody Larry. of note, but it, th- that's a pretty solid cast. Number four? Number four, The Hard Way, earning $24.5 million. It's an action crime comedy. And guess who's in this movie? Michael J. Fox. Nice. Yeah. So it's an action movie star researching a role is allowed to tag along with a hard-boiled New York City policeman who finds him superficial and irritating. This is directed by John Badham. Uh, guess what he directed? I don't know. War Games. Oh, nice. And Saturday Night Fever. Yeah. yeah but it's a good movie, whether you like this, the, the premise or not. That's a fair point. This is a Michael J. Fox movie I've never heard of before. Yeah, So and also James Woods, and then appearances by Louise Guzman, and LL Cool J. Why do I feel like I'm supposed to hate James Woods, but I don't? Um, because he's, in all honesty, it's because he's a conservative. And oh. let's be honest, Hollywood hates conservatives. Oh, okay. Well, <laughs> I like James Woods, and he's very funny in The Family Guy. Because he's James Woods. 
Ooh, piece of candy. So interesting fact about this movie. So James Woods obviously plays the cop and Michael J. Fox plays the, the actor. Right. Um, and James Woods is supposed to hate Michael J. Fox. He said this was like one of his most difficult roles yeah. because he couldn't hate Michael J. Fox in real life. Well, who could? <laughs> that's, what, that's what he said. And also, I, I always like the self-awareness, I guess, for lack of a better term, of a movie that references movies or the movie industry or acting or things like that. It gives you that little behind-the-scenes look, like especially for two amateurs like us. Like We don't know how things actually go down. Not so at all. It's nice to see like a little behind-the-scenes. I assume that since they're making a movie, they're being realistic with how movies are made, Yeah, which could be completely wrong, too. I don't know. Well, it, Postcards from the Edge was a nice... Nice view at that, right? Uh, especially with the editing and, the, and them doing the uh, ADR stuff. Yeah, after yeah. the movie was shot. Yeah. Her fixing it. All right, so we did our thing, and we're into the top three movies of the month. Three good ones here, even though everything else kind of was like lackluster. I don't know. I like career opportunities. Yeah, and the Michael J. Fox movie sounded good, but we never saw it. So, Coming in at number three, The Doors, grossing $34.4 million. Is everybody in? Is everybody in? The ceremony is about to begin. Bobby Krieger, guitar player. John Densmore, percussionist, 22 years old. Far out. Uh, Pamela Morrison, ornament. Raymond Daniel Manzarek. 12239 position. Name, occupation. Uh, Jim. Sides are being chosen. The planet is screaming for change, Morrison. We gotta make the myths. Oh! The Indians say the first shaman invented sex. They call him the one who makes you crazy. drinking blood. Mr. Morrison, you've gone too far. You're a poet, not a rock star. Go on, kill me. Come on, give me some death. Let's just say I was testing the bounds of reality. All right, so The Doors starring Val Kilmer. And Meg Ryan. Val, Val Kilmer plays Jim Morrison. Meg Ryan plays his love interest, among many others. Pamela <laughs> Corson. Kyle McLaughlin plays uh, Ray Manzarek. And if, Listen, you, if you recognize his voice, yeah. he plays the dad in Inside Out. Nice. <laughs> Listen, I'm not going to go into the Doors music. I'm not a fan. I, I don't know anything about these people. I'm here to review the movie. So... Any may, any huge Doors fans out there that are telling me that I'm butchering these people and what what's going on, fair point. But I'm here to review the movie that I just watched, okay? <laughs> and you know what? And I just want to say, I was never like a Doors fan, but I thought I liked a lot of the music by the Doors. Yeah. Then after watching this movie, I realized I didn't understand a thing they were singing about. 
Yeah, well, I also, I want to get back to the cast, but I will say before I forget that I watched this movie with the subtitles on because Val Kilmer started singing nonsense, and I was like, what words is he saying? Like, I can't I can't be hearing this properly, so I put the subtitles on. I was hearing him properly. He just, whatever he just was rambling, saying. rambling, rambling. Something about wolf's eyes and whipping the eyes and listen, like craziness. If you got what he was saying, you're either A, on acid, or B, you understand things that I don't. Either one of them could be accurate, <laughs> but I didn't get what he was saying. Do us a favor. You want to explain to us the meaning of the Doors lyrics? You can always reach us at BeKindPleaseRewind90 at gmail.com. Yes, do that. <laughs> All right. Also, you have Frank Whaley, who plays Robbie Krieger. Kevin Dillon plays the uh, drummer. John Dunsmore. Michael Madsen plays some random actor. Uh, Michael Wincott plays Paul Rothschild. Uh, he's Roachford in Three Musketeers. Oh, yeah. Billy Idol is in it. Debbie Mazer, she is the one of the girlfriends of Ray Liotta in Goodfellas. She's in this movie. Is she the one who's, like, smoking the cigarette and cutting the coke? Is that her? Yeah, yeah. One, yeah, yeah, the second one. She was right. the second girlfriend. She has a non-speaking role in this movie. She was at the two of their concerts. <laughs> that was the extent of her. All right. Also... You have Crispin Glover shows up as uh, Andy, Andy Warhol. Warhol. Uh, I did it my, blew my mind when I saw it because I, I didn't know that he was going to be in it. I did my research on this movie before I watched this movie. And I was like, wow, Crispin Glover's in this movie? And then I was like, wow, Crispin Glover plays Andy Warhol. I just got the big surprise in the reveal of Crispin Glover playing Andy Warhol. And I couldn't remember his name. And I was like, George McFly is Andy Warhol? <laughs> That's great. All right. So the plot of the movie is the uh, it's based on a true story sort of thing. Depiction of the rise and fall of Jim Morrison and the Doors. So I got to say, this movie bugged me out. <laughs> I really liked it. I'm, not, you know, it's weird. It's like it's one of those things. It's first of all, Val, like I have no idea what Jim Morrison was like. I don't know anything about Jim Morrison. I can't tell you anything about the Doors. Yeah. But what I can tell you is, I looked at stills of Jim Morrison and compared them to what I was watching while I was watching the movie. Yeah. And he was a dead ringer for Jim Morrison. Yeah. Uh, Go ahead. I'm sorry. Yeah, I was just gonna say, and then his acting like he wasn't Val Kilmer anymore. Like he was a different human being. Val Kilmer really showed showed us what he had in this movie, and then he had some run because after this he does Tombstone, and you know, like those are two now in my mind two just fantastic roles. I think his role as Doc Holliday in Tombstone is one of the all time great roles. Yeah. And now this movie, I've never seen it before, but and again, I don't know. Who Jim Morrison is, but the character that Val Kilmer was playing is I was convinced that he was this weirdo. He was this guy who just was just so artistic and just so misunderstood and just so out there. It was it was unbelievable. Uh, well, I also want to say I've never seen this movie before this viewing either. And I couldn't agree with you more that Val Kilmer should be treasured much more than I feel that he is. It was said that he had that throat cancer problem, but he's still alive. I've seen pictures or i seen an interview with him not that long ago he didn't look like he was in the best physical condition but um he i guess that's neither here nor there to the point that he is an amazing actor in my opinion yeah so oliver stone directed this movie getting ahead of ourselves as far as the categories go but i bring that up because i want to say that i really thoroughly enjoyed watching a director that i trust just do his thing like it it, it was shot 
not weirdly at moments, but just differently. And I, 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 I like to be taken for a ride by somebody that I trust. Yeah, it, it was definitely a well put together movie. It definitely had a good flow. It definitely had a good, um, what's the word? Like pace. pace thank you. Um, at no point was I like rushing to get through the movie. And no. we are talking about a two and a half hour movie. So it's not a quick movie. I didn't check the time once. Neither did I. And the only question I have with this movie is the whole Navajo sequence of things. Like, I get that his they drove past like a a car wreck that killed a lot of Navajo Native Americans like early in his life, yeah, and that stuck with him, I guess, and that's what made him so obsessed with death. I guess that's what was the whole meaning of that opening scene was. But what I didn't get was the. The, the on his acid trips with the I don't know that I'm just so dense well, I didn't understand about, the meaning of that Navajo well, chief was, I guess he was just appearing every time he was on acid I guess that was his spirit guide or something he was uh what they call him they call oh him? they call a medicine man the uh but the word I forgot the word a shaman yes thank you so I guess that was his shaman like guiding his trips or whatever also there in the desert they were on a peyote trip not an acid trip yes I know I actually have that in my notes and uh I don't know. I mean, I guess that's what the Indians do. That's what they did in Young Guns. That's where I learned about their uh, spirit world from Jose Chavez. Native Americans. What did I say? You said Indians. Same thing. Anyway, I wanted to say that this might be the most, I don't know the, the, the exact word that I'm supposed to be using, but alluring, enticing, uh, attractive. I've ever seen the 60s portrayed. Like I, I Normally, the 60s is, I think of more along the lines of Forrest Gump sort of thing. I mean, they did a decent job of showing the, the effects of drug use and like the free love. Yeah. And, and the, the issues that it caused in relationships and things like that, especially in that Thanksgiving scene. Well, I, that's not my point. I was saying more along the lines of like, I never liked the colors of the 60s, the browns and the dark reds and the bell bottoms and the, the long hair. And the, but this movie just showed it in a, in a fashion where it looked attractive it it normally looks bleak to me and almost nauseating the 60s but this made it look attractive somehow i'm not doing i think i understand what you're saying there was a brightness there was a there was a brightness to it that like and an upbeatness to it even though jim morrison was obsessed with death it was like he was he was living life at the same time and it was it seemed positive and 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 just visibly bright well in the beginning before he starts to you know go down the rabbit hole he was he was, seemed to be a pretty happy-go-lucky guy. He f- saw Meg Ryan, spotted her, was enamored with her. So he followed her home and climbed through her window and kissed her. That was odd. Well, you know, if you're Jim Morrison, <laughs> I, was, I guess you could do those but things. But that's before he was Jim Morrison. He was also seemingly a quite attractive man by all accounts of the movies. So. Yeah, I mean, objectively, I did look at pictures of Jim Morrison. He seemed like he was an attractive man. I wonder if that really happened because right now you get shot, you do something like that. <laughs> I think this I think this movie took a lot of liberties, but yeah. I have no look like I said, I'm here to review the movie that I watched. I'm not saying what's fact or fiction, so here we are. Yeah. Um, so there were a lot of fun scenes in this movie though too. Like I really enjoyed watching them rise, 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 and then the complete absolute chaotic fallout. It was it it was fun to watch. Like I, I was interested I was interested. From the forming of the band, I really liked the it wasn't like they didn't make it like these these four like these cool rocker guys. They were just like four 
well, three regular guys and Jim Morrison. And he just kind of like brought them along for the ride. And they were just doing their thing, having a good time. And, you know, they weren't as, as weird as him, but they were like, all right, well, we'll go with it. And what it was happened, fun. What happened with the scene where the guy who was like in the, I guess, the um, film school with him? And then Morrison quit film school, goes, writes poems and music or whatever. And then he comes back and see, visits them when they're at the beach. And then Morrison's like, what have you been doing? He's, are you making it in Hollywood? He's like, yeah, I got a meeting with this, uh, whatever, this production company next week. And then the guy asked Morrison, what are you doing? He's like, oh, I've been writing poems and, and music. He's like, oh, let me hear it. Let me see some. And then he just drops everything that he's doing. And goes to make music with Jim Morrison. I didn't understand. It was because it was, it was supposed to be that he was so moved Compelling. by his words and just so compelled by his words that he was like, "Wow, this is what I need to do." Because he also told him that the, the directing opportunity didn't work out because the guy said, "All right, and how are you going to make the movie?" He goes, "I don't have a script." And like, "All right, great. What are you going to do?" He yeah. didn't have it. I think it was. A, I don't think he. Re, I think he was joking. I don't think he really had the meeting with the director. All right. Well, I mean, yeah, I didn't get that scene. So thank you for clearing it up yeah. for me. I did like the arc of the character. And I just, you know what I want to know? Like, so I watch certain movies and get obsessed with them, right? Like, remember when I was obsessed with The Room? Obsessed yeah, for well, months. Yeah, I was right there beside you. So, yes. But this movie, like, I wasn't obsessed with Jim Morrison. I was like, oh, he's a guy. He was weird. He did his thing. And he died at 27 years old. He killed, they, they he killed himself. They say alcohol he OD'd and and on, on alcohol and drugs, but nobody Even knows. if it wasn't, wasn't an ODing, autopsy. like, let's be honest, like, from the way the movie portrayed him, yeah, he, he was, was always al- high and drunk. Always LSD, always drinking and chugging liquor. Like, yeah. he, he, there's no way his body could have handled that anymore. I didn't go back and find, like, I didn't research things about Jim Morrison. I, I didn't really care to. I just want to know, like, I'm kind of curious to know if the man was as obsessed with death as the movie portrayed. Yeah, it seemed like every... That's all he cared about. That's all he sang about, too. Like, that was the thing. Like, I've heard, like, Riders on the Storm. Right? Yeah. Like, you've heard... You've, you know these songs, but it's like, when you actually listen to the lyrics, you're like, this is fucked up. <laughs> like, I don't know if I do like this song, and I don't know if I do understand this song entirely. No, I definitely don't understand it. Also, not being a rock fan, like, definitely not a classic rock fan, I appreciated the music, and it was used very well throughout the movie. Right, they didn't force it down your throat. It kind of like fit. They they made sure that each song fit into like the feel of what was occurring. It wasn't like just forced in there to be like, oh, here's another one of their hits. Also, I want to know if he really got a blowjob while he was recording a song. Well, it was his not wife, but like supposed to be wife, like, girlfriend. But like his number one, his number one. Yeah, maybe but there was a whole room full of people outside. Yeah, but they're rockers. She's an she's a drug addict, LSD dropper too. Yeah. Is that what they call LSD users? LSD <laughs> droppers? <laughs> That's the cool slang. That's the new way. <laughs> All right. All right. So let's get to some categories here. Again, Oliver Stone directed the movie. He also directed such little films as JFK, Born on the Fourth of July, Platoon, Natural Born Killers, Wall Street, and a personal favorite, but not a critic favorite, Any Given Sunday. I hate Any Given Sunday. But the rest of the movies are fantastic. (laughs) So a couple of things about Oliver Stone. He quit Yale to join the military during Vietnam. He was awarded, amongst other things, the Purple Heart. Uh, He won an Oscar for direction for Platoon. Platoon also won Best Picture. Well, this explains why these movies were so vivid, real, and amazing. Yes. He, he, um, He experienced it. Yes. 
And he also won the Oscar for direction on uh, Born on the Fourth of July. And he won an Oscar for writing Midnight Express. So what was your best scene? All right. My best scene is the Thanksgiving trip. That's what I, I titled it, the Thanksgiving trip. Okay. And I, you know, for a couple of reasons. First of all, it starts out as like this comedic, like, oh my God, they're high and they, they, they don't know what they're doing. She's going through pictures. She's, or I'm sorry, not pictures. She's reading his poems. Yeah. Being ridiculous. The whole, all the guests are like looking at them funny. They all know they're, they're high as fuck and they're just like staring at them and they get into a little argument and then Patricia shows up. That's Jim's, his, his number two. Yep. Um, and of course, Pam and Patricia have it out and it causes this whole thing where she goes and now... I found this funny, so don't judge me. But uh, you actually put your dick in this woman? And he goes, <laughs> he just like smiles. Goes, Sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> that was good. <laughs> that got me. His reaction to it was just phenomenal. And then it goes from this whole comedic scene to this big, rip-roaring, serious fight that turns into her pulling a knife and Jim taking the knife and saying, stab me, kill me, go ahead, kill me, kill me, kill me. And... All of a sudden, every, he's stomping on the burnt duck and everyone's leaving the house and then they, they fall into each other's arms crying and hugging. It's like this like just absolute like drug addict behavior. It was just unbelievable. And it was just so real and amazing. Roller coaster. Yeah, it was good. I like that scene. I don't think it was my best scene. I think maybe one of my more favorite scenes was after they were... One of my more favorite scenes is after they were super favorite. I think they were in London or whatever when they were in the hotel room giving the interview and he was just saying super random <laughs> things. He was, I, I just. Oh, when he first met Patricia? Yeah, when he stood, tell, when he lies and tells her about that his parents were dead in a car wreck or whatever, which wasn't true. And he was just saying weird things and I found the scene entertaining. <laughs> But I don't, that's the thing, right? So, like, we think he's just saying weird things, but I think, like, it was supposed to have some sort of meaning that went over my head. <laughs> I don't think, look, man, I, I, I like to consider myself of at least average intelligence. Either I'm way understudied as far as, like, classic poetry literature goes, or he was saying gibberish. <laughs> it's one of the two. More likely gibberish. Okay. All right, we're seeing. I know, you go first. I said the worst scene was the witchcraft wedding yeah. Navajo concert, I called it. Yeah, yeah, I didn't like that. And I'm sure it had some other meaning that, again, went over my head, but I just, I didn't, it was weird. I actually wrote down in my notes, like, this movie really crossed the line from strange to what the hell am I watching? Yeah, that was misplaced, but I guess hopefully factual, so... I, w- I would like to think that they didn't just crowbar that in there for no reason. And while I'm at it, what was with them drinking blood? Like, what was... I guess if Super it really high. happened, if it really... Well, she's a witch. I get that. She wants to be a witch. Yeah. So did this really happen? Did this woman really think she was a witch? And why was she the news reporter covering them and it just happened to end up with this witch? I don't know. She's got hobbies, bro. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. I try. I struggled to find a worse scene. You know what also... With, with other scenes, I like speaking, speaking of best and worst scenes... When he's on stage and he's, to, you know, it's the the middle towards the end, but not all the way at the end when he's completely lost it. And the cops are on stage because I guess they're so famous that they need a, an abundance of armed cops to make sure that people aren't coming <laughs> on stage to attack him. And he's just giving the FU to all the cops. Yeah, he likes to talk shit to the cops. Yeah. All right, best role. I mean, if you don't say Jim 
Jim Morrison played by Val Kilmer. I don't know what movie you're watching. Yeah, same. Worst <laughs> role? Okay, so this is one of those situations where I didn't choose the worst role because of the actor or actress. It was because of the actual role. And this was uh, Meg Ryan's role as Pam. Uh-huh. I didn't... So it's not her performance that made me decide this because I thought she did fine with what she was given. Yeah. I just felt the depth of that character was sincerely lacking. Like, there yeah. had to be more to this woman who kept chasing him. Like, she couldn't have just been some... Like, they made her look like a groupie, not a not someone who was actually in love with him. And I really feel like there was more depth to this person than they showed in this movie. And that's why I chose this as my worst role. That's a well thought out and fair point. Yeah. Mine is Kevin Dillon. He was just a whiny little bitch the entire movie, and I hated him. Can I be honest? Yeah. Before I did my research, and I knew Kevin Dillon was in this movie, yeah. like that, when I found out Kevin Dillon, was, I didn't know that was Kevin Dillon. Like I didn't recognize him. Yeah, it was he was very young, and like a hundred percent unrecognizable. No. Yeah, it was difficult. To, I was like, is it? And it I, looks like is it him? And I, I guess feel it's like him. he has such a like him and his brother like to have very distinct teeth. Yes. <laughs> so like it's hard to like overlook them, but I did. Yeah. I don't know. He, they're both the Dylan brothers are not my favorite to begin with, and then for him to be, ha- be an annoying character, like that—that that was the role he yeah. was given to play. I uh, mean, he'll I'm, he'll always be Johnny Drama to me. Yeah, and also I'm not a fan of Johnny Drama. Oh God. Um. So before we move on, I just want to point out one person you did forget to mention that was in this movie. Yeah. Was the actual dr- drummer John Densmore? When Val Kilmer is playing, obviously, Jim Morrison and being interviewed at the beginning and the end of the movie. Yeah. Uh, the John Densmore is the one who doing is... The interview. He's the one doing the soundboard and everything. Okay. So there's a whole long story about the fact that, like, John Densmore, after Jim Morrison died, he refused to go to his funeral because he, he couldn't forgive him. Like, because he, he loved him, right? Yeah. That's what he said. He said, I loved him. And he threw everything away to drugs and alcohol. And there was no saving him. There was no stopping him. And he refused to go to his funeral and he refused to, to forgive him. And it took him years and years. And then when they made this movie, he, he heard it was being made and because he was being interviewed for it and everything. And he wanted to be part of it because he felt guilty, I guess, yeah. for having not been there for the funeral and things of that nature. Yeah. Um, and he actually said that Val Kilmer was so eerily Jim Morrison that it like it, it, it gave him chills and just blew his mind. They also said that they couldn't tell who who was singing Val Kilmer or Jim Morrison. And I read that they used Val Kilmer's actual singing voice for the close-up shots. And for the faraway stuff or when he wasn't on screen, they used Jim Morrison. Uh, see, I'm glad you looked that up because I was wondering that myself. Because at times I was like, wait, that kind of sounds like Val Kilmer. Yeah, you could, I, I felt like I could tell. But who knows? Maybe, maybe I'm an idiot and yeah. I think I'm smarter than I am. So. <laughs> Quotable lines. Some of the worst mistakes of my life have been haircuts. How? <laughs> like, with everything that he's going through, and then Morrison, uh, Val Kilmer, like, you know, playing Morrison, that's what he has to say. Some of the worst mistakes of, yeah. the, of my life have been haircuts. Well, you heard mine. The uh, You put your dick in this woman sometimes. Huh? <laughs> also, Morrison... What's a rock and roll band for, man, if you can't party all night and do bad things? Let's plan a murder or start a religion. <laughs> yeah. That one got me too. I can't I didn't write that down. That was good. Yeah. All right. Yeah, anything else? No, that's about it. I liked it, and I would watch this again. This was a good movie by a good director with a great actor. Yeah, it definitely kept my interest, and it's worth a watch for sure. 
Coming in at number two. Coming in at number two, New Jack City earning $47.6 million. Living, living, living just enough. Wesley Snipes. We will own this city. Ice tea. Alan Payne. Chris Rock. Mario Van Peebles. Christopher Williams. Vanessa Williams. Tracy Camilla Johns. And Judd Nelson. This is Detective Nick Peretti. Big crazy jarhead motorcycle freak reject cop just like you, Scotty. On the streets, there's a fine line between wrong and right, good and bad, between those who enforce the law. It is a war out there. And those who break it. Gone are the days of selling on the street corners, dark alleyways in the back rooms of some bummy-ass bar. We ain't with that no more. In a city where survival depends on friends. It's always business, never personal. On family. We got to look out for one another. On trust. On loyalty. On power. Am I my brother's keeper? Am I my brother's keeper? Yes, I am! A family out to run a city are up against cops who know its streets. This ain't business. This is personal. This is big business. This is the American way. City. Oh, yeah. All right. For anybody who's not in the know, Wesley Snipes plays Nino Brown. Ice-T plays Scotty Appleton. Can I please? Why Scotty Appleton for Ice-T? <laughs> I don't know. It just it doesn't fit at all. Alan Payne plays G Money. It's because it sounded like Appletini, and they wanted his name to be another drink. <laughs> Fair point. <laughs> Chris Rock plays Pookie. Mario Van Peebles plays Stone. Judd Nelson. I, you know how many times I've seen this movie and didn't realize that was Judd Nelson? Judd Nelson plays uh, Ice-T's cop partner, Nick Peretti. And then you also have uh, appearances by Fab Five Freddy, Flavor Flav, and Keith Sweat, among a couple others. Yeah, so as far as this cast goes, I was not happy with all but two of them. So, well, let's save it because I have a uh, you could interject. I have a lot of points to make. So, the plot of the movie Nino Brown is coming up during the age of crack uh, in the 80s while Ice T and the law are trying to bring him and the CMB to justice. The CMB being his crew. I love this movie, man. Look, I want to say something. I'll try and say it properly so my words aren't misconstrued, but I think this is a, a beautifully portrayed snapshot of a moment in time. While beautiful things and ugly, disgusting things are happening at the same time, you know, with the music that's in the movie, the clothing that's in the movie, you know, this is supposed to be in the 80s, shot in 90, released in 91. It's not that far of a jump, but they did the timing well. And then you have what was going on politically with the the war on drugs. They reference Reagan and his his politics multiple times in the movie. And what the crack epidemic did to you know New York City, the boroughs, and and I guess you know more or less the black community. 
So Mario Van Peebles, getting ahead of myself again, the director of this movie, he did a really good job on this one. His his uh, IMDb, not the greatest, but this was a good movie. Yeah, well, for me, you know, I'm more of a 90s guy. <laughs> just saying. Uh, so, no, I don't know. This movie just... I liked the way a lot of the things were handled, but overall, I, you know, this movie I don't think was made for me. So, like, it, it wasn't my favorite thing I've ever watched. Uh, there are a couple of things I did really like while watching this movie. So, first of all, I'm a big fan of exposition through news. Yeah, I, I have to know. <laughs> um, that's, like, one of my favorite things. And, and we started out with that, and it happened a couple of times throughout the way. And, like, I really love exposition through the news. Uh, my note is exactly this. Exposition during the credits over radio or news done better in Dick Tracy. <laughs> I thought I actually thought like this better than Dick Tracy, um, mainly because it kind of, like, hit on, like, a, a real-life thing that happened. Not, it wasn't a comic book? Yeah, it wasn't a comic book. All right. Um, so I like that. I was blown away by Chris Rock's performance in this movie. Getting ahead of yourself. I don't care. I, I don't care. Head and shoulders above any other actor. Yeah. Head and shoulders. It was... Without without Chris Rock, I don't think this movie's nearly as good as it is. Probably not. And when he died in the movie, I was actually upset. Yeah. Uh, we'll come. We'll come back around to Chris Rock. I, I for I couldn't use any other term than this. Nino Brown looks so fly. Wesley Snipes <laughs> with his chain, his hat, his gear. He just looked so dope. He looked like this is why I guess you know movies like this make being a drug dealer look enticing. And he his persona was just perfect, unreal, perfect, over the top. Oh, so it was so over the top. So yes, this is overacting when overacting is good. Yes, I. I I agree with you. And I love a good Wesley Snipes Wesley Snipes overact. He, he I don't know if there's anyone better than him at like just being ridiculous but also me believing that it's real. Yeah, I mean, I think that you know, we could point to any point in this movie, but I guess I just really enjoyed the idea of this movie sort of I guess an anti-hero. I guess no, that's not the right term. I wouldn't call Nino. No, Brown he's a, hero. a villain, yes. and you're not rooting for him at any point. But you love to see him on the screen. Yeah, I guess that's better spoken than than what I was saying. And and I mean, it also helps though that besides him and Chris Rock, I really thought a lot of the performances were lacking. I, what I was wrong with Judd Nelson? He was awful. I don't understand. He was never. He never. The he, only time in the movie. That he was helpful or beneficial to forward the plot of the 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 protagonist was when he saved uh, Wesley. No, when he saved Ice T. Excuse me from being shot at the very end of the movie. Yeah, that was the only time. Every yeah. other time he was combative and negative. And he felt uncom. It felt like he was uncomfortable during the filming. Almost like like he didn't know what his role was. Like. Well, he I didn't know what his purpose was, so maybe I, we have this. We share the same confusion. Maybe that was the problem, right? Maybe, maybe it wasn't a well written out character. Maybe he didn't understand what's my purpose. And then at the end of the movie, they were like, "Oh, here's your purpose." And I was like, "Oh, okay." I, <laughs> I got it now. All right. So one scene we can talk about is the whole development the of Nina, the Carter, hmm? the Carter, the the housing development. Yeah, the whole the, the whole. All right, so th- it gets dark, right? Like, like real dark when when they're showing the actual behavior of uh, crack addicts and, yeah. and what's going on inside this building. With Pookie, from the beginning of them coming up with this plan that we're gonna take over this building development and we're gonna turn it into a super sophisticated crack den. 
yeah. was awesome. Yeah. Like you, <laughs> we're, we're not going to just sell crack. We're going to make it a legitimate business with a CEO computers and a full on laboratory where we're going to create it and sell it with, they were using the suction things from banks and yeah, like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was, was cool. it was so elaborate and amazing. And just the whole, the whole process of them coming up with the idea, breaking into the apartment buildings, uh, establishing themselves, killing anyone that got in their way, the old man going to the police and the police sending him away. And then finally they're established. And now it's just a pit of despair and hell. Wesley said that, you know, if they don't, if they don't comply, we'll make them live in hostages were the words that he used. By the way, that whole, everything I just described is all done in a montage. Yeah. (laughs) And who doesn't love a good montage? But this is a montage done right. I love montages. You're anti-montage. I'm anti-montage, and but this was a good montage. Yeah. I, I think that uh, the intensity of the entire thing, right, how it, Chris Rock's disp- explaining the whole thing because he goes to work there after he gets clean, which that scene where he's getting clean, love, but we'll come back to that. And then he's explaining it, talking about the room when the with, with their bottle and the crack and everybody's naked because Nino Brown doesn't trust anybody. That was actually a part of the movie I had issue with. Why? So everyone has to be naked in that room because they don't trust anyone with the crack. Yeah. They specifically say when they put Pookie into the crack room to start working with the crack, they say, watch him because he's a former crack addict. Right. And then he's the only one who's wearing clothes in that room. He was the manager. But they're scared that he's going to steal the rock, but he's the only one they don't get naked that doesn't make any sense you can't have chris rock with his penis out in new jack city you don't have to show his penis <laughs> <laughs> all right look i, I want to talk about this scene all right so i have it as my best scene when the the montage when pookie's getting clean i i i really think that when he's in and out of the rehab ice tea keeps bringing him back he's in ice tea's house you see the real struggle He's trying to get clean. Like the I, shivering, the, yeah. the, the blankets, the, yeah. Forgive me for saying, but he played the role of that crackhead was phenomenal. Like, he's he's a mess, but he's also still charismatic. Okay, so something I found. Yeah. All right, so Chris Rock claimed that for several years following his performance as a crack addict, drug dealers would approach him and put crack and cocaine in his pockets, joking that they thought that was a documentary of his life. (laughs) That's funny. (laughs) So, and they said like he full on was just the perfect representation of what someone that's that addicted and that lost and that deep really looks like, really behaves. Like like I said, Chris Rock's performance was just outstanding. And he, he... his progression too, right? So he starts off, he's all right. He gets shot like in the beginning of the movie. Like he's just doing a deal, whatever, he gets shot. And then they come back to him. Now he's full-blown crackhead. Mm. And he's able to go from crackhead back to clean. And there's, and again, it's another montage, but like you see the clear progression and his physical acting and his, and his, and the way he just like, words He's himself a different he speaks. It's, it, the whole thing just changes his whole demeanor changes you see the shift it was just an unbelievable performance yeah i thought it, like i said hands down best yeah. and then uh <laughs> i was laughing out loud when they saw when i was watching them teach the kids the just say no campaign oh my god as a teacher that was just like first of all <laughs> there was like 
they, they memorized an entire monologue. Yeah. <laughs> it wasn't like, it wasn't like just, just say no. It was, they had a whole scripted thing that they had to memorize. How long could that have taken to memorize? And they're just doing it in the middle of the schoolyard and there's little crack files everywhere. Yeah. It's, uh, it's out of control. <laughs> what about when they were watching Scarface? Multiple times. I love those scenes. Yeah. But he's better than Scarface because he didn't let go to his head. That's what she said. But then he did. <laughs> Spoiler alert. Here's a little <laughs> foreshadowing for you. All right. So best scenes. Let's do that. Uh, I, I simply wrote anything with Chris Rock. So I had the Pookie getting clean montage. And then also when Nino Brown killed G Money on the rooftop, Wesley actually acted there. Yeah. I thought that throughout uh, the entire movie, he was over the top, like really eccentric, boisterous, and then he reined all of that in and was a person who was about to murder his best friend because his best friend fucked up and there was no coming back from it. Yeah, and you know what, though? I think that it's a testament to his acting, right? Because he knew that the whole rest of the time... Like, I think a lot of this character is that he's over the top as an act. Yeah. And he lets his emotion out in this one moment because it's the one person he truly does care about. Yeah. I thought that that, that was a really good job by, by Wesley. Well, I had another nomination that besides Chris Rock scenes, Go ahead. I loved the wedding hit when the mafia showed up at the wedding. That I had whole, problems with that. Scene. See, I like that. No, I had problems with what followed that scene, but the whole scene with them, just the chaos and the children and the running and the grabbing of the children and Wesley Snipes' character picking up the little girl to use as a... Be a human shield. Oh, wow. Yeah, well, that's how you know he's a bad guy. Right. Loved it. Yeah, I mean, that's all right, but I had a problem with that entire scene, only two people died, and there's thousands of bullets being shot. Fair enough. But three she, people died. The girl's father... Two mafiosos died. Too. One mafia guy died, and uh, Keisha died in that scene. Which and also can I, can I be honest? I I cheered when Keisha died. Yeah, she was <laughs> not my favorite. Can I also say? So I understand it's Hollywood, but you got a Uzi with a clip. It doesn't last forever. It's got to run out. Well, you they don't show you them re- reloading. You no, you can't hold the trigger down for like Hello, three minutes. I'm reloaded. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Also, Scarface reference that. Uh, that Nino killed G Money just like uh, Scarface killed Manny. Yeah. All right, oh, I want to, before I forget to, I want to go back. This is way out of, uh, oh, let's do worst scene first. Worst scene? So my worst scene was when they uh, approached Frankie Needles outside the strip club. Yeah. The whole silhouette. I, I don't know what, I don't know what they were trying to accomplish there with that. Yeah. That whole shot. Um, the 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 dialogue there was awful. Behind door number one, you got this. Yeah. Behind door, come anything Ice T said was the worst. Yeah, I, anything Ice T was not good in this movie. No, not not good. My worst scene was Pookie's funeral. The guy goes to throw a flower on Pookie's casket, lazily throws the flower onto the casket, and it falls off. And then there's this terrible dialogue where. Uh, Mario Van Peebles trying to tell them like the whole thing's off because it's it, Pookie's do- dead and you got nothing. How do you have nothing? You have all those tapes and video recordings that Pookie got while he was inside the Carter. He got G money, so you didn't get Nino. So what? You got the second guy. Get him to flip on Nino. Isn't that how police work goes? <laughs> and and then 
Ice T's fake anger over Pookie's death and and then them telling him like, oh, he was a crackhead. It's it's over with. Like oh, and then what was his partner's name again? Nick Peretti, Judd Nelson. So yeah, Nick Peretti, and and then, and then Nick Peretti is like, ugh. I killed Pookie. Yeah. And he's like, well, I don't believe you. And then Ice hey, T- like you're just saying it to try and make Ice T feel better. I don't know. I can't tell where you're going with this. I, and then yeah, that whole thing where I was Pookie. I was poor white trash. Like, bro, who cares? It's not your fucking story. <laughs> and then Ice T's like, how did you kill Pookie? Like, is this Ice T's first acting job? Because I it was actually fucking thought horrific. it had to be, but no, he has like four or five uh, before this. But like. The thing about Ice-T is, you know what he did? He went and he found himself a nice little spot right on Law & Order SVU, being exactly what he should be, which is, you know, the the wise cracking cop who shows up once in a while just to to hit you with a little bit of um, a little bit of humor, a little bit of seriousness, a little, a little bit of street knowledge, street knowledge. Like that, that was that's his that's his niche. And you know, good for him. He probably makes a couple hundred grand an episode, and God knows there's 27 seasons of that show. So good for him. But. He can't be a second lead in a movie. No, he's. It, you know what I thought too. I was like, I I felt bad not liking Judd Nelson's character. Then I come to realize I only like Judd Nelson in The Breakfast Club, and that's it. <laughs> I've seen him in other movies, and he's not very good. No, I I, I gotta be honest too. I felt bad not liking Ice T because I feel like I'm supposed to like him, but I didn't. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I never liked Ice T's. So I'm, I was a hip hop head when I was younger, and never liked Ice T's music anyway. So I don't feel bad not liking. Let's be it. honest, Ice Cube is the better ice. <laughs> definitely, <laughs> Vanilla Ice is definitely not even making the list. Well, we're gonna talk about him later. <laughs> yeah. All right. So before we do best role, worst role, we'll talk about Wesley for a second. Wesley's IMDb is ridiculous. So among many others that I didn't list. Wesley Slipes in Major League, King of New York, Mo Better Blues, Jungle Fever, White Men Can't Jump, Demolition Man, The Fan, and The Blade Trilogy. Like, those are a lot of good movies that I would watch. Yeah, he's good, man. And my favorite on that list is Demolition Man. Yeah, same. Uh, he is, he kind of takes this character to the next level. Yeah. <laughs> and then, so also about the uh, the tax evasion thing. He went to jail December 9th, 2010, got out April 2nd, 2013 for tax evasion. Wait, he did two plus years? Yeah, almost three. He got he got three. Wow. He did two plus. That's a lot of time for tax evasion. He they he owed something like $27 million. That's, he didn't have it? He said he didn't have it. Oh, boy. I guess you do time when you don't have $27 million. Well, he also wrote a letter to the IRS from what I remember saying how he shouldn't have to pay taxes. I think that rubbed them the wrong way. You would think someone who was living in a car when he acted in his first movie, right? That's a, that's a story with Wesley Snipes. Yeah, he was living in a car, going to scenes straight from his car to his dressing room. That was his first role. And you would think someone that came from that would be more like, you know what, let me pay my taxes so I can keep my millions of dollars. All right, best role? Best role, obviously, I, I'm going with Chris Rock here. Um, I did not know that Chris Rock was this good of an actor because I've only ever really seen him in, like, comedies and playing joke characters. And, like, he's never, like, the guy. But now I'm so excited to see this movie that he just has he says coming out soon. The It's like an extension of the Saw, trilo- the, the Saw series. Um, he plays a detective hunt, yeah. trying to hunt down the, the copycat of the Saw. I want to see this now because I want to see Chris Rock in another serious role. Um, worst your, role? Well, what's your best role? Oh, uh, I thought 
Chris Rock. It's oh, undeniable. Yes. Worst role is everyone in the mafia. <laughs> and now, hold on. I have a lot to say about this. Okay. All right. So, not a lot, but I have something to say. Please entertain me. So, they didn't. They 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 cast the wrong Italian guy to play the mafia. They casted like the guy who's going to the clubs, who's popping his collar and you know sniffing coke all night long. That's the Italian guy they 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 casted. Yeah. They didn't cast the Italian mobster. Like I want, I want a a a Pauly Walnuts. I want a you know, big pussy was in the movie. I seen like half of his so, face, so and that's there. all they gave him. Yeah, he was there. He should have been the the guy instead of right. whoever else. This was. guy who played what was the guy's name again? No idea. Uh, Frankie Needles. Yeah, he was awful. Terrible. He, would this movie, except for Chris Rock, was not well acted? Well, I actually wrote on my sheet. I said Wesley Snipes and Chris Rock individually are better than the entire rest of the cast combined. Yes. <laughs> My worst role is either Ice-T or Judd Nelson. Flip a coin. They're both equally bad. Yeah. I, I can't argue that either. A most quotable line? I think Judd Nelson's worse than Ice-T, though. It's fair. Because I, I just don't know what, what his place is in this, why he's he, even his there. His character had The no whole arc. movie can happen without him. Yes. His character had no arc. Most quotable line? Uh, <laughs> every, t- every time... Uh, Wesley Snipes was talking about the mafia guys got me good, especially fuck those skinjili eating motherfuckers. Yeah, that then, was good. Then later he just replaced skinjili with spaghetti. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it was it was still just as good. It's only about their food culture. <laughs> okay, so I'm, I'm gonna do uh, one that my favorite quote that's so bad it's it's good. All right. When Ice T goes, he's about to shoot Nino Brown towards the end of it. He's like doing the fake shaking with anger or shaking with rage sort of thing. Sort of thing. He goes, "I want to shoot you so bad, my dick's hard." Yes, <laughs> like that was so bad. Like, I actually wrote that down. I was like, "What was the point of this quote?" Nobody <laughs> thought about a rewrite. Like <laughs> nobody, like Mario Van Peebles couldn't pull Ice T aside. Maybe Ice T was uncoachable because he was intimidating. <laughs> but I would have been like, "Ice, we gotta do this again." Gotta do better than that, man. <laughs> Um, which leads me to our next question. Did Wesley Snipes' character actually kill Ice-T's mother in the movie? Oh, that was or, the worst or idea. Was it, or was it just like, a, like he's not saying like he, he, no, no, he's that saying was, he figuratively killed no, him. No, no, no. He was telling Pookie that Pookie figuratively killed his mother. Then Ice-T, uh, sorry, then Wesley actually killed his mother. So Wesley Snipes actually killed his mother. Yeah. That was my mother you killed. Right. That was the worst I, idea. I was really hoping it was figuratively. It could you, you didn't need that. No. What was the point? All you needed was that his mother was killed randomly. Yeah. You don't need to. It doesn't need to be Wesley Snipes. I love this movie. I, I have watched it multiple times. I got to be honest. I like it a lot better now after talking about it. Okay. Yeah. Because well, like, again, like this isn't my culture. This isn't my scene this isn't i was never into like hip-hop hip-hop and that that and you know i recognize the good parts but now i think i like it better and i'll give it another watch all right so that was that coming in at number one childhood classic teenage mutant ninja turtles 2 the secret of the ooze grossing 78 million dollars New York, a city where 8 million can scarf down their slices in safety, knowing that when pizza is close by, help, help, is never far away. <laughs> Any luck finding a new place to live yet? 
Well, you know, in this market, it's actually very difficult to find good subterranean housing. You'd think even an idiot could find a place down here. But no! Wow! And I thought all the really good dungeons were in Europe. The past returns, my son. Ah. Hey, guys, look! That's the canister that had the ooze. That transformed us all. Yes. Yeah. The next fight will be freak against freak. Take the ugly one! No, you take the ugly one! Oh, which one's the ugly one? Ninja Turtles 2. Cowabunga! The Secret of the Ooze. Don't forget, we're turtles! So what'd you think of this movie upon an adult viewing? It's better than I remembered. Hold on, <laughs> no, let I'm me ask kidding. you a question. <laughs> but, but let me say this in all sincerity. How was I so entertained by a movie that going into it, you're thinking that it's going to be horrific? I didn't think it was going to be horrific. Like I was thinking, I was thinking that there's no way that this movie could be passable as an actual movie. Seven-year-old Chris watched this movie every day on repeat. Seven-year-old Chris loved the shit out of this movie. I knew every scene. I couldn't quote every line, but I had like the basic gist in my head of what was about to happen. Mm. Nothing, nothing that I watched surprised me. I knew what was going to happen in the movie, and I still loved it, and I was still entertained. I, I so I want to say this too: the 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 first one, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles one, whatever the just Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles uh, was a better. If we're going to classify it as such film. Right, it tried harder to be a movie. Right, this, this one, was a kids fun romp. Right, but this it was, was more very of a good. Kids movie. Yeah, exactly. There were so many funny one-liners that I actually laughed out loud <laughs> while they were being delivered. And none of them were good, but they were funny. No, they would. <laughs> that's fair. <laughs> but they were. I was so entertained. Look, I gotta say too, the cultural impact which we went over last time. If if you haven't heard it, go back and listen to our episode about Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, the first movie. That's March of 1990. We go into great detail about how the turtles became the turtles in the sense of a cultural icon. Um, but this was hugely impactful on mine and our childhood. I remember you and your brother coming out, spending the weekend or whatever, and us playing the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle video game. All day. I remember, and you don't remember this, I remember we were playing once... And the only TV in your house was in your, or the Nintendo was kept in your mother's bedroom. Yeah. Because I guess because you weren't allowed to play unless you said you could. <laughs> and we were sitting on our bed, we're playing Ninja Turtles, and then we had to go to church. Yeah. And we paused it. Yeah. And we came back only to be so disappointed that it did not hold its pause. It was froze or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> I remember for some reason, and I don't know if this is true or not, you know, memories are faulty, but I remember never being able to get past the board with the water. We had Which to, is the first level of the game. Yeah, the video <laughs> games were so hard back in the day. Like, I played Contra as an adult, and I couldn't get past the first yeah. level. I have no clue what 
is the second level of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles video game. <laughs> I thought that was like the fourth level. It was the first. <laughs> yeah. All right. So moving back back to back the back to the movie. <laughs> Sorry, this is not the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles video game podcast. No, not yet. Anyway, so for a movie that has zero star power. N- not one recognizable person in the entire movie. <laughs> Zero directing power. Well, except for he did produce. Uh, well, I'm getting way ahead of myself, but Michael Pressman he did produce Lake Placid. Oh, okay, but produced, not directed. Yeah, that's it. That's all he's got. <laughs> he's got two gems in his pocket. Yeah. Um. Oh, and actually, Kevin Clash, who plays, I believe, Donatello, was also get ready for this, Elmo. Well. Star power right yeah. there. All right, so yeah. So a movie that has, as we discussed, zero star power. Um, there's just so much to love about this movie. First of all, the whole introduction to this movie, the the, the opening credits with the uh, the music, love the music. It's all the video game music. It's like just so cartoony. Mm-hmm. But every single person in the entire New York City is eating pizza. Every single person. It was fantastic and enjoying the hell out of it, too. And n- not shots of people sitting down at restaurants eating pizza. Every single person on the street, whether they were walking, standing, in a car. Having a date with a glass of champagne. <laughs> on a horse. They were all eating pizza. One cop with a with a criminal handcuff to his hand eating pizza. Yeah, with the other hand eating a slice of pizza. <laughs> uh, can I ask you something? Does this movie have a plot, or did it just simply pick up where the last one left off? It it picked up where the last one left off. It's basically just Shredder wasn't dead, and, well, we got to fight Shredder again. Yeah, and they, they're living with April, and then they got to find a new home, which, let me tell you something. The sewer that they find, I might want to live in it. Yeah, but Michelangelo had a lot to say about how dirty and disgusting it was. And, and the, the, <laughs> the fact that it was dirty and disgusting was only because there were cobwebs and it was dusty. Yeah. It, it had beautiful lighting, beautiful tile mosaics, a stained glass window. It wasn't a window. It was a sunroof. It was a stain of like sun dome. Yes, it was <laughs> It was gorgeous. Why is this a forgotten like world? In, in, in Manhattan right now, this thing's selling for $10 million. Easy. <laughs> All right. So let's just start talking about some scenes that we liked here. What about in the beginning? Wasn't it the um, virtually the same exact scene from the beginning of the first one where the foot's stealing like random consumer goods and somebody stumbles upon it and the turtles come to save the day? Sure, recycle that shit. <laughs> Why not? N- new ideas not wanted here. I don't need any of them. So Kino, he is, stumbles upon. Is he the, the pizza delivery kid? He sure is. Well, his name is Ernie Reyes Jr., which I found odd because isn't he? He's Asian, no? Maybe half and half. Maybe half and half. His last name's Reyes. He was also in Surf Ninjas. Nice. Yeah, and, and I know his movies. face in Surf Ninjas, and I can't think of like exactly what his role is, but I see his face in the movie. Only cast me in ninja-related movies. I mean, he's a martial artist, so it kind of makes sense. He does all his own stunts in this movie and that movie, so it, it does make sense. Uh, but that opening fight scene was was awesome. And we were discussing this before, is the choreography in this movie, considering the suits that these guys are in, was unreal. Yeah, I... I better than a, Van, uh, a, uh, a Jean-Claude Van Damme choreography. Much better. <laughs> yeah, look, if you take the, the context of what this is, which is a, a kids, like a young kids movie with guys dressed up in, in rubber suits, I think it was choreographed very well. 
Like yeah. the fight scenes, they're doing flips and whatever. And there's flow and it looks like there's contact. I, I, at no point was I like, oh, he clearly pulled that punch. It's it's not like watching like MMA or something where like... No, obviously not. But, but it's... I guess the best it could have been done is how it was done is, is more or less how it breaks down. Right. Well, I like that they, they stick to the comic booky feel more in this one than in the first movie. It's way more fun, this one. Right. And especially like there are certain scenes that stand out in my mind. So using the yo-yo to beat up the to, be, to beat up the Foot Clan. Hold on. He did an around the world and took out four Foot Clan by hitting them all in the head with the same yo-yo on the same spin. Wait, 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 wait. Check this. Oh, walk the dog. That's pretty good, huh? And then around the world. It's fine with me. I just I have to object like from a physical standpoint. I don't think the yo-yo has the impact power to to well, knock him out. Um, and not not forty seconds later, he also pulls out a p- couple of sausage links, yells combo combat cold cuts, and <laughs> starts beating the crap out of them with that. So, and as they run away, he screams, and next time I'll use mustard. What does that even mean? (laughs) And next time I'll use mustard. (laughs) I don't know, but it was perfect. Yeah. How about Donatello? He finds that cloud. He's pushing the cloud back and forth. The cloud's rocking. So then Donatello starts rocking like he's the clown. And the Foot Clan guy doesn't realize it's one of the Green Ninja Turtles that are fight- they're currently fighting. And then Donatello beats him up with one of those like foam styrofoam bats. Yes, he beats him up with it. It's styrofoam. But that's what makes again. That's what makes this a fun kids movie. But if you're six years old, these things are completely plausible. Oh, 100%. There's no, re- there's no way that this is fake. I remember watching these scenes and being like, this is awesome. <laughs> and even right now, I was like, this is cool. You were- Actually, I wrote down on my paper, I said, this is righteous. <laughs> it's <laughs> definitely tubular. <laughs> oh, how, what, why were Splinter's words of wisdom so impactful? Compa- compelling? I, every time he spoke, I was like, I was like, I felt this this rush of wisdom come over me. Like, yeah, he's right. <laughs> he, def- he definitely made some valid points. <laughs> and a couple of funnies. Splinter might have been my favorite part of this movie. I don't know. I still feel like looking at Splinter because the whole thing I feel I think is animatronic. Looking at Splinter compared to looking at the turtles is a bit unsettling for some reason. Like you think like it's not as well done as the turtles? Nah, yeah. But listening to him talk, his his voice is so consoling. It's so it's so warm. Yeah, it's definitely <laughs> something that there's definitely I would definitely follow him if I was a ninja turtle. <laughs> That's a hot take right there. I would follow Splinter were I a ninja turtle. <laughs> Which one day you still could achieve that goal. <laughs> Why not? It's not too late. <laughs> Yo, how about when they get to that science lab? With the, with all the buttons? It so was, many buttons. It was it was much easier to believe that it was like NASA mission control than it was a science lab. So many tubes. And for some reason, those tubes also had buttons. <laughs> but do you not need your tube to do things? It was lit up and lighty and like sparkling. And, like, and why were the tubes so long? He's disposing of chemical waste, but like the tube is literally wrapped around the whole lab. 
You gotta watch the chemical waste go around the tube while you're disposing of it. And how about when they go on the computer? Now, I know this is because it's a kid's movie, but they go on the computer and all it is is serial numbers that say dispose. <laughs> and then there's one. Oh, this might mean something. It says active. Like, obviously, it means something. Hold on. The one that was active was in three times the size font yes. as the ones that were disposed. <laughs> as if it wasn't clear enough. And now here's a major issue I have. And okay. Now, you needed to do this because you had to have the fight scene in the lab, of course. But the clan already has that active container. Right. The but ooze. they decide to show up and show the Ninja Turtles that they have it. Wait, wait. Let's, let's give a little, <laughs> a little bit of what's going on here. The Ninja Turtles go to the lab where they're producing this ooze to see if they can find more ooze to see how they became what they are. Right. The clan is looking for the same ooze. But to create their own army of Ninja Turtles, I guess. Ninja animals. They don't care what kind of animals they are. And they show up and they happen to be there at the same time. Then with exactly what you said. But they're already, they already have the ooze that they're looking for. The the turtles are there. The, the, The clan is gone. Yes. The, 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 then the clan comes to the room where the turtles are in to show them that they have the ooze. And what was going to ensue? There was only going to be a fight and you were going to make your job more difficult. You got what you came for. But how easily did they knock the ooze out of his head? He multiple times, it. multiple times, the guy was holding the, the jar, the, the container of ooze above his head. And it took... Proclaiming, se- I have the ooze. It took seconds for a turtle to get to him to kick it out of his hand, but he never moved it. But how about the fact that at no point did any of this seem like, like, okay, this is bad. Like, it was odd. Like, I recognize that it doesn't make sense, but I was okay with it. No, I was completely on board. <laughs> I, I was riveted. <laughs> so at what point were you not on board? This movie was perfect as far as what it was until we got to the scene where the near end fighting scene. It's the last fight scene. No, near second to last fight scene. Well, no, it's the last fight scene, and I'll explain why. Okay. they uh, One of them gets thrown through a door, and it leads to... Well, hold on. They're, first of all, they're fighting the clan in the junkyard. Yeah. Then they get thrown through a wall that happens to end up in a rave. But yeah, it's not a like rave. a warehouse it's a con- rave. But it's like a concert hall. But there's a stage, and Vanilla Ice is performing on stage. Proceeds to... Watch the turtles fight these two animals, which I thought before the movie were Bebop and Rocksteady, but it's not Bebop and Rocksteady. It's who? Toka and Razor. Which one's a turtle, a snapping turtle, and the other one is a wolf. So the reason this happened, by the way, is Kevin Eastman and Peter Laird, who invented the Ninja Turtles. They created them. They didn't want to have Bebop. And Rocksteady like ruined as characters uh-huh. in this movie, so they asked them to change. Also, I feel like it, they were like, you know, what we could do is we could make two new characters and sell those toys as well. That was probably part of it. So let's do that. It's probably the majority of it. <laughs> <laughs> so then, so then, Vanilla Ice is singing "Go Ninja, Go Ninja, Go" That's on fantastic. stage. It's green, a green machine. He's. Vanilla Ice, I said while we were watching the movie, is the embodiment of all the worst parts of the 90s. (laughs) And your least favorite ice. (laughs) Definitely my least favorite way to serve ice. (laughs) Least favorite rapper with ice in his name, too, right? Past that, Shredder has a little vial of ooze. He's now in this where, at the party. And this is where my major issue with this movie comes up. And then they go outside and they're now on a pier. 
Yeah. <laughs> and uh, the continuity of setting was not good. Shredder drank the ooze and immediately became Super Shredder. And somehow drinking the ooze changed his entire garb. Yeah, his outfit is now <laughs> Super Shredder. It's like it has extra razors on it. It's, it's way bigger. It's bigger, more razors, and more shreddery. More shreddery. There it, it is. Yes. And then uh, they're fighting Shredder. No, no, they're not. Well, they don't. They don't fight Shredder. Shredder that's why, actually that's why it's him. not the last fight. Shredder scene. actually kills himself by knocking down the pier and because he's too big to get to the turtle. No, that's not it either. What? Shredder, I'm trying to give this movie wrong. some semblance of, of no, reality. This is the part of the movie that ruined it for me. Okay, because okay. I loved everything about this movie except for this one part. I even love Vanilla Ice. Stop. <laughs> Nobody loves Vanilla Ice. He doesn't even love Vanilla Ice. I love Ice. Vanilla Ice in the Ninja Turtles. So he's not so big that he can't get by. He just decides he's going to crash everything down to kill the turtles. Fine. That's okay. But my issue with that is that he kills himself. And no. doesn't kill the turtles. Yeah, and he doesn't kill the That's fine. I, I don't want him to kill the turtles. But... I want the turtles to take out Shredder. I don't want Shredder to take out himself. Like that bothered me. Shredder at no point in any one of these movies has displayed any ability to hurt anyone other than himself. <laughs> Why are they so fearful of him? Fact. <laughs> <laughs> Let's go to our categories. We've done this movie no justice, but I'm having a great time. If you've gathered anything other than the fact that we love this movie, I don't know what we said to mislead you, but we love this movie. All right. We already said the actors have no other roles except for Kino, Keno, whatever, however you pronounce his name. Was in it was in another shitty ninjas. ninja movie. <laughs> okay. This is not a shitty movie. Do not say another shitty movie. Sorry. A different movie about ninjas that happens to be shitty. Fair. All right. What's your best scene? Uh, dude. Come on, man. <laughs> what? What scene? Were there scenes? <laughs> I don't know what I... I just wasn't a movie in the sense of a movie, but I don't know. You Pick know what something. I, I, okay, so here's what I really love about this movie. The continuous shot after shot of one-liners. I can't name a one of them right now, but all of the one-line jokes, I loved them all. I got some written down. We'll, we'll, we'll go through that in a minute. Okay. Uh, my favorite scene is the opening credits or just the eating the pizza. Just the okay. just the love and life eating pizza, okay. or also the pizza at April's house. There's so much pizza in this movie. <laughs> so after that, they help Kino like not get killed by the Foot Clan. So they go back to April's house and they're just goofing around. I had a good time with them goofing around. Uh, you know, you got Roth hanging out the window, screaming like making fun of Shredder, and then Splinter shows up out of nowhere and gives them all a life lesson, and then makes. <laughs> Raph and Leonardo go do 10 flips and they're so oh man. <laughs> so that's my favorite. Scene. They are teenagers. Yeah, they are. They would be discontent with with being reprimanded. Yeah. And I already shared my worst scene, which was the last fight where it's not a fight and Shredder beats himself. So I was on, the, the, there's like 10 minutes left, 15 tops left in the movie when they get inside the warehouse where Vanilla Ice is singing. There's multiple scenes there, but I'm just going to classify that all as one scene and let that be the worst. <laughs> That's fine. That's fine. I'm but okay with that. We don't have best role and worst role, do we? I do. All right, go. Because I can't. I can't. Best role is Splinter. Okay. Because you can't single out one of the Ninja Turtles because they're, even though they're each their own character, they're one character. The four Ninja Turtles are a character. I'll take Michelangelo over any one of them. Right, but they're together. They're not 
anything without inseparable. Right. So you have to put them together. So I say Splinter because just his wisdom, his his wisdom just got to me tonight. I was feeling it. (laughs) Got you emotional. (laughs) Yeah, it did. Well, then I'll take all of the turtles. All right. There you go. Worst role? Worst role, but now I might change this because after what you just said about Shredder. Yeah. Yeah, I have to, I might have to say Shredder, but I originally said his second in command. Yeah. Because the guy did nothing but stand there. I like his second in <laughs> command was way more intimidating than he but was. But he also did nothing. No, he, wait, <laughs> he got mad. He came over and flipped the table and chopped a two by four in half oh, with I his hand. about that. If you, I don't want to take that chop to the neck. But Shredder walked out screaming, "They're babies!" <laughs> That's well, yelling is not as intimidating as chopping karate chopping I a two. Agree. Okay, I'll change it. It's, it's it's Shredder is the worst role. Shredder is the worst role. Yeah, I Fuck think that's. Shredder. I think that's maybe the cop, the 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 cop who doesn't ever believe anything that he's told the police chief. Like she told him that. The oh, I have that. Yeah, that's that's another terrible. What's thing. going on with that? Like, why do we have to do that? Why does why do we have to have the trope? I guess, for lack of a better term, where the cops being told something and he doesn't like it by somebody credible, but it just it's couldn't be possible. But it's even fine that it's not possible. Why does he have to get so angry about it? Angry and and dismissive. You'll not never work in this line of work again. Not, not even like all right, well. You're maybe crazy, but I'll check it out. No, just yeah, ha ha ha. No, but he doesn't ha ha. He's like, you're out of your, you're out of your, you're out of line, April. Oh, get out of here! What are you even doing here? The mayor's on my ass. <laughs> the mayor is on his ass. <laughs> All right, All right, whatever. All right, best line. This is it. I have the whole thing written down. Go ahead, you I mean, do. It's the same one because I waited the, the entire movie for this. I've waited since we started this podcast for this. I do. I actually waited a year, more than a year, for this because when we did the last Ninja Turtles, we thought it was going to be in there, but it wasn't. Oh, less, it was one. less than a year. Anyway, I waited a, an amount of time. So Raph gets taken by the clan because of their ill-conceived plan, previously trying to infiltrate the clan, <laughs> which we're not even get to that. But it was an interesting scene, which which consisted of him hiding behind random objects while the clan was all around him. <laughs> But that's neither here nor there. So Raph's kidnapped and the cl- Kino comes and tells the turtles, like, this is where Raph is. So they're like, all right, we got to go save Raph. So they're sneaking into the place and like the perimeter is quiet. Yeah, a little too quiet. Then they then they get into a fight with a whole bunch of clan members and it was just real quick. They take him out in like two seconds. And Leonardo's like, well, that was easy. And Dante's like, yeah, a little too easy. <laughs> then all of a sudden we see Raph tied up to a spike. <laughs> <laughs> and Donatello's like, look, it's Ralph. And Michelangelo responds, yeah, a little too rough. <laughs> Which isn't that great of a line, but it's amazing. No, it's <laughs> because it's so stupid, but yet it's so true. <laughs> it was too rough. It was just too much of rough. It just, they wouldn't do that. And it was right. It was a trap. <laughs> Come on. Just like Kino said. Yeah. The perimeter's quiet. Yeah. A little too quiet. Mm. Knock, knock. Well, that was easy. Yeah. A little too easy. Yeah. <gasps> Look, huh? it's Raph. Yeah. A little too Raph. You guys, knock it off. Brother. Keep your eyes peeled. 
The whole scene was ridiculous. They get they're in the net and they're like, "Thank Ralph Nader," and I'm like, "I don't understand why." <laughs> there must have been a joke there that I didn't get. <laughs> there was a joke that was too smart for me in Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles too. <laughs> oh I think we have to end on that note. <laughs> All right, that's fine. What do we got next month? Oh, oh. This is a great year. Next month is ridiculous, right? Isn't there like... No, that's... No, I'm thinking it's a couple June. months. Out for Justice, which is my most favorite Steven Seagal movie ever. Mortal... Th- no. Yeah, Mortal Thoughts, which I have no idea what that is. All right. Um, I'll watch it. Yeah. Sure. And Oscar. Listen. Have you ever seen this? No. Sylvester Stallone. Ooh, Sly. Marissa Tomei. Ooh, love Marissa Tomei. Tim Curry. Ooh, love Tim Curry. And uh, uh, I don't know how to describe it. Like, it's set in the 20s. Sly is a, a an ex-gangster trying to go straight. I can't imagine Sly playing in a period piece in the 20s. It's, it's a comedy. This is a full-blown comedy. All right. And... I have to get, get, I got to find the exact genre that this is because I know this is a certain type of movie well, and I'll have it for us next time. This movie, if nobody's ever seen this before, if anybody listening hasn't seen Oscar before with, with Sylvester Stallone, please watch it before the next episode because this movie is absolutely amazing. Well, now I'm excited. Well, you should be because I'm excited. Oh, yes. <laughs> All right, everybody. This has been Be Kind, Please Rewind. We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening. Yo, it's the green machine. Gonna rock the town without being seen. Have you ever seen a turtle get down? Slamming and jamming to the new swing sound. Yeah, everybody let's move. Vanilla is filled with a new jack groove. Gonna rock. Roll the place with the power of the ninja turtle face. Iceman, you know I'm not playing. Devastate the show what the turtles are saying. Ninja, ninja, Power, kicking it up, power.
they sent me a, a you know a, a script and everything tell me what was going on in the in the movie and and what was going to be happening you know they told me all about this whole scene it's exactly like they you know they had it wrote down and everything and um told me to write and make it ice so i did i hyped it up put the funky beats behind it and made it ice and they told me to keep it clean you know for the kids and everything which is me anyway so ice ice babies in full effect yep yep turtles too watch it <laughs>